Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-host, Peter Barrichina. Peter, how is it going <laughs> this week? Um, It's going really good, man. It's going really good. Um, This was a really busy week in terms of like news and stuff like that. So honestly, this is like the off season that I was like preparing myself for trades, um, coaching signings, um, random news happening at every single moment. What's like at every single minute on the hour whatsoever. Um, yeah, there's a definitely a lot to talk about this week and I'm really excited for this episode. Yeah, it's uh, definitely was a busy week, uh, both in the hockey world as well as, uh, you know, our personal world, I'm sure. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, we, you know, not getting the listeners we wanted because nobody's wearing masks these days. Um, no, I'm just joking. I'm, but our numbers <laughs> are up here in Ontario for our outside listeners. Yes. Um, you know, I can't, uh, I can't stress it enough. Uh, guys, take precautions here. I don't want to yeah. get into this every single episode, so we'll just do a quick uh, reminder here. And just uh, other than that, we want to go out and have fun. So if we're going to yeah. do that, especially going into the holiday season, let's let's figure this stuff out. Yeah, my only PSA is, and again, like you said, we don't want to sound like a broken record every single week because everyone is sick and tired of hearing news about like the pandemic. I know I sure am, even though I'm glued to my news to hear about what's going on. Wear a mask. Listen to the doctors. They know more about this stuff than we do, especially those involved with infectious diseases and everything like that. They keep track of this. Just listen to them. They know what they're talking about. They've been doing this for years. And if we refute them or go against what they're saying, we're just going to be in a worse spot. They're telling us what to do. It worked. Just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's one of those things, but uh, let's get to the good stuff. Enough with yeah. that stuff. Uh, we're here for hockey. We're here for hockey. Um, <laughs> so obviously coming off of last week, you know, we were talking a lot about NHL awards and uh, we have another one to um, discuss this week with Mark Giordano yes. taking home the Mark Messier Leadership Award. Um, obviously a, a fantastic story. This guy had such a, such a journey to the NHL, um, you know, 898 regular season games so far, 134 goals, 483 points, a three-time NHL all-star. He's won the NHL foundation player award, the SB Muhammad Ali for, uh, the humanitarian award, Norse trophy winner. My question is when it's all said and done, if there's no cup, um, for this, for this guy, will he be, you know, are these Hall of Fame credentials? Um, you know, obviously we talk a lot about getting into the Hall of Fame. I'm I'm one who advocates for how saturated the Hall of Fame can be sometimes. Uh, but is this a guy that could be a Hall of Famer when his career is all said and done, even if Calgary never wins the Cup? Yes. I mean, I would love to see him in the Hall of Fame. Um, will he be like, you know, a first ballot kind of Hall of Famer? No, maybe second or third. But I think he does deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, he won the Norris Trophy back in 2018-19. But even so, like his play on the ice is just absolutely tremendous. I mean, um, basically comes out of nowhere. He has the impact with the Flames already that he already has. So it's very interesting to see how it happened. But with, in the case of like Giordano right now, I think you could make the exception 
that maybe he can be in that conversation at some point. Yeah, no, I, I, I tend to agree. And like I said, um, you know, he's, he's had quite the journey to get to where he mm-hmm. is. And I think that's, that's kind of the story that people look at as well. When they think of Giordano is not only is he a leader on and off the ice, um, you know, obviously has been a stud for these guys, uh, when it comes to his defensive play, his physical play, his offensive play. I mean, this is a guy who scored a couple shorthanded goals last season. Like, yeah, you know, for a defenseman to go and be able to do that, um, you know, he, he's definitely got the credentials. Like, I, like you said, I don't think he's a first ballot guy um, unless maybe he adds another Norris trophy before he's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Or if he adds, if he adds that cup, that would be a huge, uh, huge piece to the puzzle but I think you know when it comes down to it he's a guy that could potentially go in and again I I think we see a lot of names go in year in and year out but uh with that said I think he's a guy that could see his name enshrined uh in Toronto at some point yeah and you know what when undrafted too you hardly see um it's very rare to see an undrafted player come and make the impact and have the career that Giordano has had right now despite not winning a Stanley Cup obviously um, you know, that's the goal in everyone's mind, but not to take away uh, from the award at hand. Um, partnered with the Calgary Board of Education to launch and improve physical fitness and uh, academics um, in uh, schools with high needs, um, $40,000 and or raised $40,000 uh, and the lives impacted of 2,900 students in the area. Um, he's an advocate for the You Can Play project, uh, the Calgary Pride Parade. Um, he's an ambassador for inclusion. I mean, this guy's done everything on the ice and he's doing everything off the ice to make an impact. And I think that should serve a real indication that if, you know, maybe he hasn't accomplished a whole lot on the ice, what he's done off the ice should serve what it means to be a player in the NHL and get that Hall of Fame ballot. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, talking about guys off the ice, um, the Washington Capitals hired Peter Laviolette as their 19th head coach in franchise history. Um, obviously, a guy that uh, has a history of uh, winning games. He's second among U.S.-born coaches in NHL wins and 16th all-time in the NHL. He was a cup winner with the Hurricanes back in 2005-2006 and has a career record of 637, 425, 25, and 123. So, I mean, signed him to a three-year deal. Is he a, a guy that can get uh, Washington back to the promised land, or or are we just, uh, you know, pushing it right until the end of uh, Ovi's career here and, and um, you know, kind of filling that gap? I honestly was not expecting him to be the head coach. Um, this was sort of like that, um, you know, you – Gallant were you know the two that were being reported and then Lavia like comes out of nowhere and takes a job because I initially thought that drug line would have been a good fit but you know what they wanted a head coach with experience and they got one of Lavia so I think it is a perfect fit I just didn't see it coming but like he said he has a long res they wanted a coach with the resume and they got one uh AHL championship Stanley Cup Cup finals with Flyers uh, the Philadelphia Flyers in 2009-10, again with the Nashville Predators going to the Cup Finals um, recently with the Nashville Predators. Um, 
I don't think you could have asked for a better resume in a head coach right now. And granted, Mike Babcock and Gerard Gallant have their ups or their positives, but with what Laviolette has done recently, you can't ignore it. And there's this one line where, you know, uh, Laviolette is talking about Ovechkin and getting the opportunity to coach him. He says, obviously, his offense is there, his willingness to block shots in the defensive zone and his leadership. All things that when you're looking at your team, you want your captain to be the guy to set the example and lead that way. I thought he was doing that. It sounds like, you know, he he could be tough on his players, but he relies on his leaders heavily and he wants to get the most out of them. Having what he's had or or what he's seen in Ovechkin from the past on the opposite side of the ice, I think he knows what he's getting himself into. He's a winner. Ovi's a winner. And they want to be winners again. And I think they got their man. Yeah, no, and I, I like you. I think I was more surprised by the move, but I don't think it's the wrong move. I think it's mm-hmm. uh, definitely a good signing for them, and and a guy that can certainly get the best out of that Washington team. And you know they've got some young players too, in Verona and and guys yeah. like that. So, I mean, he's a guy that's uh, you know it just kind of reiterates the the recycling of uh, of coaches in the NHL right now. And you don't see a lot of new names come up, but uh, you know if a guy's Obviously, if he's 16th all-time in NHL wins, he's a guy that knows how to get it done. So I think it's a good signing for them. And, um, you know, he wasn't the only one that we had in terms of uh, management uh, re-upping, I guess, or or, or new new guys in in management. Um, Obviously, the Coyotes had some big news earlier this offseason with uh, John Chaco walking away from the team. Um, They hired Bill Armstrong as their new GM. Uh, replacing Steve Sullivan for the time being. Uh, Armstrong comes out of the Blues front office uh, when he was the the director of amateur scouting there. The Blues drafted guys like Jaden Schwartz, Vladimir Tarasenko, Sammy Blay, uh, Robert Thomas, Jordan Bennington, Colton Pareko, and Vince Dunn. So all guys that have won the Stanley Cup with with the Blues. Um, Does Armstrong bring a winning pedigree to the Coyotes? Is he a guy that can maybe build this team, get them over the hump, and you know, take it to the next level in, in the desert. I think he can. I mean, you just listed a long list of players that were essential to the St. Louis Blues, and he had a major input on drafting those players. Um, it's just sad that he has to endure the mess that Chica had in Arizona, and now he has to try and stabilize everything and patch everything up. Because even earlier this week or last week, we even saw news that Coyotes had a hard time even playing their players. I know that Tyler Steenbergen, there was an issue with his signing bonus where he was going to get it, but then they did a direct deposit. So there's like a lot of confusion in that regard right there. Um, I mean, he's a smart mind. I mean, he knows how to create a competitive team. He knows how to draft it. Um, he took, I mean, he was, a, I mean, not take, but he was essential in help, helping create that blue scene that won the cup. And I, it's a good move, but it's a challenging one at that. Yeah, no, I, I going off that, I think you're a hundred percent right in, in that he's inheriting a, like an absolute mess in, in the coyotes right now in terms of, uh, salary payroll, um, just the draft picks that these guys are going to be missing over the next mm-hmm. couple of years. Like it's, he's definitely got his work cut out for him, but I think, you know, having had that scouting experience behind him, um, certainly is going to help in, in trying to develop young guys coming out of the later rounds of the, of yeah. the NHL draft. 
On top of that, I think what they need right now is stability. And if they can get Armstrong in there and give him the opportunity to make this his team, I think you know, you're talking about a different story down the road. And he's got the experience, whereas a guy like John Chaka, you know, kind of came in out of nowhere. And, uh, you know, I think his youthfulness kind of played a role in, in, in putting this team where it is right now. And and that's unfortunate for a guy like Armstrong, who has to come in and clean up that mess. But yeah. I think, you know, giving that team that stability might uh, might help in, in developing, you know, a winning mindset in the, in the desert uh, when, when Armstrong's all said and done. So um, definitely an interesting move. Uh, It'll be fun to kind of watch to see where they go, but um, you know, they've obviously got talks with, uh, with guys on their, on their club that are are set to become or uh, unrestricted free agents as well. in in a guy like Taylor Hall. So um, it'll be an interesting off season for them. Um, But uh, as you mentioned in the intro, We've had an interesting week in terms of trades, signings, um, re-signings, mm-hmm. possible trades. So let's get into that. Uh, started off with Eric Stahl, the Eric Stahl trade. Um, obviously, a one-for-one straight-up deal with the uh, Minnesota Wild and Buffalo Sabres. Eric Stahl goes to the Sabres for Marcus Johansson. Um, obviously, an interesting trade as Kevin Adams took over as the GM in Buffalo. Uh, he played with Stahl on the 2006 Cup-winning Hurricanes. Bring them up again, as we talked about LaViolette earlier. Um, the Sabres actually saved $1.25 million in cap space. And uh, on the other side of things, Minnesota gets a little younger as, as Stahl was six years older than Johansson. Mm-hmm. So definitely, um, definitely a good move for both clubs, I think. I think Buffalo adds a little bit of veteran leadership, a guy that... Yeah has had quite the career in the NHL already. Um, and on the other side, like I said, you know, Minnesota gets a, a younger, younger player who uh, has shown some, some great, uh, some great play over his, his young career. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good move both ways. It'll be something that we kind of look back on and we can discuss who wins the deal, uh, you know, in a year or, or, or two. Right. Mm-hmm. No, no, absolutely. Uh, it's a good move for both sides, but honestly, I absolutely love this move for the Buffalo Sabres. I honestly, I mean, you don't want to pick winners. I mean, like you said, you would have to decide a year from now to see who wins, but I think this is an early win and they have the advantage of this, mainly because it bulks up their center depth. Yeah, oh, 100%. And when you put, you can put stall up, on the uh, up center or on wing, but to have that depth of Eichel, Dylan Cousins is going to be coming up. He may get the second or third line role. Stall, that's a good one, two, three punch up the middle. Johansson, he is an unfortunate situation with him because he is a good 50 point guy. It's just he's seen some inconsistencies lately with his production. Also, he's been dealt with a lot of injuries, but maybe a change of, change of scenery in Minnesota could help. Um, they want to, like you said, they want to get younger, but Eric Stahl, he's just a monster and he can still put up 30, 40 points, even at his age. Depth is still, depth scoring is still an issue in Buffalo. They need to address that, but I think it's a really good start to be that mentor for cousins, but not even him, even, even for someone like Jack Eichel. I know he's been in the year, uh, league for about five years now, same timeline as Connor McDavid, but you know. If you could teach him something new, who else better to learn it from than Eric Stahl? 
Well, yeah, and you just you, you teach him how to be a pro, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. not not saying Eichel's not a pro, but you get a guy in there like it was the same with the Leafs when they brought in Marlow or when yeah. they brought in Spezza. You know, you got a young club. You bring in a guy like that who can play, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a night and still get you 30 to 40 points. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's he's a guy that can come in there and just teach these young guys to be a pro. You know, he's got Casey Middlestad in, in Buffalo. Um, guys like yeah. that that just maybe haven't worked out just yet will will be able to kind of take what he's he has to offer and you know add that to their to their I guess repertoire in terms of how to come up how to how to you know play in the NHL and and how to develop well. So yeah. I think it's I think it's a fantastic move. And on top of that, like I mentioned, the Sabers save you know one and a quarter million yeah. in, in salary cap. So. Definitely a move that uh, helps them out, um, and uh, yeah, like you said, he still puts up some good numbers. So why not? Why not add a guy like that to the uh, to the roster? Absolutely, yeah. Um, on top of that, uh, the Montreal Canadiens, after trading for Joel Edmondson, they uh, they signed him to a four year, fourteen million dollar contract. Um, I'm not sure. I'm huge on this deal. I think. Uh, it's a fair amount of money. That said, he's a physical guy on the back end, and uh, his deal kind of breaks down a little. It's it's an interesting deal. 2020-2021, uh, $2.75 million. Uh, the following year, $2.5 million with a $1 million signing bonus. Uh, 2022-23, another $2.75 million salary plus the $2 million signing bonus. And... 2023, 24, the final year of the contract, a $1 million salary with a $2 million signing bonus. So essentially $9 million in salary, $5 million in, in signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I just, I I don't mind the deal, uh, but you're looking at probably a four, five, six defenseman, um, you know, $3 million a year. I guess that's kind of the going rate at this point. Um, yeah. And he does have that, you know, he does have that cup. Uh, under his belt as well so that uh, that certainly helps um, add a little little money to the bank there but uh, you know maybe a guy that shores up their their back end a little bit on the on the uh, the the uh, bottom pairing there but you know um, that's they they got their guy they they went out and signed him and that's that's what they wanted I guess yeah I mean I'm just like you I'm not sure how you really feel about this I mean our fellow Leafs writer Chris Feria as soon as the contract broke, he made a comment saying that this is a similar, like, did Mark Bergevin not learn from Carl Alsner? Because this is what it seems, this is what it feels like. Obviously, it's not the same term, not the same money that Carl Alsner signed, but you get that vibe. No yeah, one very, that, like... Very similar, very similar. It's, th- like, annual cap hit of $3.5 million over four years. That to me is a lot if he's playing third line minutes. If he's going to be up in the lineup, fine, but it's the value for the player. I wouldn't necessarily play, pay $3.5 million a year for someone who can be a third liner but doesn't play as well as a third liner should, if that makes sense. Yeah. But looking at, no, no, sorry, continue. No, I was just going to say, and I, I, like, I, I completely agree with you. I just don't think he's. You talk. You you mentioned you know maybe worth it if he plays up in the lineup. I just don't think he's a guy that can play in that first and second line pairing. Yeah, I mean unless you absolutely need him to, and you bring up a young guy, play him on the third pairing. But he's a guy that you kind of want to stick on that third pairing and have him play those third line minutes. Yeah, and looking at the breakdown that uh, that you just mentioned right now, 
it doesn't seem that bad. But possession numbers at five on five, he was just very average. If he's in a third pairing role, it might work out. But then again, if I'm looking at the Canadians depth right now and what we saw in the. It would probably be Sherrod and Weber as my top pairing, Petrie and Mete as my second, and then Edmondson, um, you know, and another option on the third pairing. But again, um, we'll see how it works out. I'm just not a fan of the fact that maybe I, I maybe I was looking at it at the cap hit as opposed to the breakdown, but even the breakdown, I'm still very iffy about it. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think, uh, like I said, it's it's an interesting deal. Um, you know, like like we talked about with the stalled trade, you can't really analyze it too much until you look back on it. But definitely going into it, if I'm a Montreal fan. I'm not overly excited about this deal. Yeah. I don't think he finishes it with the Canadians. You can draw some conclusions before anything happens and then go back to those conclusions afterwards. This is one yeah. of those situations where whatever you think about Edmondson, it might happen a year or two into the contract. Yeah. Um, going off of that, another signing, Washington again and making news this week as they sign Daniel Sprong to a one-way contract. Uh, two, I believe it was a two-year deal. Um, both years are one-way. Uh, it carries an AAV of $725,000. Um, Sprong was drafted by Pittsburgh in the second round, 46th overall in 2015. And this is a guy that had so much um, excitement surrounding him when they, he was drafted. He was a guy that was smaller but had that, that high end talent uh, on the offensive end has never really worked out uh, so far in the NHL, had a small injury uh, when he came up with Pittsburgh that kind of, you know, took him back a little bit, but um, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. He's a guy that uh, in my keeper league, I picked up right when he got drafted. Cause I thought, you know, he, here's a guy that uh, could be a high end talent uh, in a couple of years, but just hasn't really worked out. Could he be a guy that works out in, in Washington? Um, 100%. And this is what we talk about, you know, with the with the young young team and and having a guy like Ovi and, and Backstrom in the lineup to help them develop. Um, so, I mean, it could be a good contract for him. Low low risk, low reward, or could be a low risk, high reward. Um, again, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how that works out. Yeah, and he was a first-round pick too. So... No, second round pick. I mean, second, he was round, a, yes. second round in 2015. Sorry, I don't know why I thought first. I think maybe uh, there at that time people were thinking that maybe he could be a first round pick, and it's a fair assessment because he was doing a pretty good job in juniors. But 46 overall, I mean, you're getting. I mean, based on like how projections work for a draft pick, because it's a later round second, there's it's crossing that fine line if he jumps to the NHL or if he doesn't. I think I'm going more into analytics than I have been in the past, but I, I was pretty high on him as well to begin with. I thought he could have been like, you know, a third line guy with the ability to jump into the second top six um, mix as well. But yeah, I mean, if there's anybody to learn from, it's from Ovechkin. It's from Backstrom. It's from Carlson. It's from... Hell, it's even from Laviolette. I mean, we we know that he coaches like a very veteran team, but he knows how to get to his young players. And if there's someone who could get to him, 
it's going to be Laviolette. So I'm thinking that he's in a good spot, both with the teammates that he has, the minor system that he played in, and as well as the NHL level with the coaching staff there. So I'm I'm hoping, I'm rooting for him, because he was a really good prospect, very, you know, very creative, very crafty as a prospect. Um, I just, he deserves a chance. I yeah. mean, he deserves a fair chance right now, and he this is like a prove-me kind of situation right now. And, uh, again, I'm rooting for him all the way. Yeah, it's just a guy that uh, I think needs an opportunity, and, and Washington could be a great spot for him to get that um, real international flavor in that lineup. And, uh, you know, maybe that could that could help as well. Who knows? You know, just put him in the right spot and give him an opportunity to see what he can do. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like I said, it's a, it's a low-risk uh, contract. And, you know, if you end up uh, getting rid of him after a year, you know, you, you're not you're not really losing out on much. So um, that's another. Sorry, I was just about to say that's the thing with prospects that are like kind of bubble prospects. You want to give them a fair chance. Again, this is his moment, but most of the time it doesn't really pan out. He could be on the opposite side of that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, going off that, another young guy to sign uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins re-signed Jared McCann to a two-year extension carries an annual average value of 2.94 million. Um, you know, a guy who's uh former first round pick 24th overall to Vancouver in 2014 in 310 NHL games. And man, that's gone by quick. Um, yeah. 123 points. So a guy that, uh, you know, probably third, fourth liner, but, uh, he's, he's, um, kind of had, an okay, he had a better year last season with 35 points in 66 games, so had a little bit of a coming out party for him. Um, you know, still a young guy, still very young guy, 24 years old. Uh, how to, again, another guy that had a lot of upside coming in and uh, maybe hasn't lived up to that expectation. That said, you're playing on a team like Pittsburgh, expect to be a, a bottom, bottom six forward, um, but with a lot of high-end talent around you. He's got the opportunity to really excel here, and I think the two-year contract is a perfect, uh, perfect contract for a guy like him. Yeah, I think I cut off there again. Sorry about that, man. I don't know what's going on this episode. That's all right. Um, I just I just introed McCann. So if you just want to kind of get into McCann, we can just continue the recording. I'll just cut it. Yeah, yeah sounds good. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, interesting situation because he can play both center and wing, and he had a career high with 35 points um, with the Penguins this year. I mean – it didn't go the way they planned in the playoffs, losing to Montreal in the qualifying round. But you know what? He fits their system. He fits their mold. Um, he's a great depth present behind Crosby and Malkin at center. And who knows if Kasperi Kapanen is going to be on his wing, maybe he could try and help him out. Um, I know Cappy uh, that the Leafs made with them a few weeks back. So hopefully, you know, McCann and Kapanen could create some sort of chemistry on that third line because he's got speed because uh, McCann has got the smarts. And, you know, they're uh, 
a lot of improvement in his play this year, and there's more. Uh, there was more upside to him. So you know what? This is another one of those contracts. Let's just say, okay, you did well. We're gonna sign you. Um, you know, uh, short-term deal, two years, and let's see what you can do. Let's see if you could, uh, you know, one up yourself that you did this past season. So I think it's a really good deal, low move, and it, it bodes well for their depth. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And um, moving on from that, I think here comes one of the more, I guess, want to say soap operas of this offseason so far. Um, There are reports that Marc-Andre Fleury and his agent Alan Walsh are to give the Vegas Golden Knights and Brad McCrimmon Mm -hmm. a 10-team no-trade list. Uh, That is part of Fleury's deal. He he can reject trades to 10 teams. there there were reports that the Golden Knights and Laner did have a five-year extension in place prior to the uh, stoppage of play, um, which makes Flurry somewhat expendable. That said, Flurry's contract might be a huge issue uh, in terms of moving him. Um, we talked about this a couple episodes ago in terms of the whether the Leafs go after a guy like Flurry, and if so, do you find a way to have the Golden Knights retain, you know, maybe possibly $2 million of his contract. Um, you know, again, all this is rumors right now, as Laner did uh, kind of refute the the, the rumors. Mm-hmm. That said, where there is smoke, there's fire, and there's a lot of smoke surrounding this story right now. If it doesn't make I mean, there's a whole phrase, if it doesn't make sense, it's probably not true. Not, not calling laner a liar but if he has to, if flurry has to send his 10 team no trade list then they probably do have a deal in place to keep laner and that's very fair because laner was their guy and he was fantastic for them during the run uh came up a little bit short during the conference finals against dallas but he was phenomenal and he was in the conversation of being like one of those con kind of players for the team behind shea theodore and you know i honestly think that uh, chances are I'm leaning towards that. Leonard is there. Flurry is gone. And 10 teams. Um, that's, I just hope Toronto isn't on that no trade team list because they could really use him. And yeah, no, I know we talked about this previously before about like, like what could happen if Toronto does go after Flurry. I mean, we helped out with the contract retention for Leonard during that three-team trade with Chicago. Um, maybe they could do the same for us, maybe retain about $2 million for Flurry, and then we get his contract back for another two years. Trade Anderson, I mean, it's just contract in, contract out, but if we could package up Anderson, free some more cap space, it's possible. I mean, again, we're all playing hypothetical right now, considering it is the off season. We're basing this just on rumors, but there's a lot of things that can happen in this, especially with this situation. But my thing is this, after what happened, given the whole flurry, Alan Walsh incident with Peter DeBoer, will teams actually acquire him because of that incident? Do they take a flyer saying, eh, maybe not, we don't want that kind of like, you know, things to impede on our season kind of thing. Yeah, no, and I agree. I think uh, it can be really toxic to have a guy like Alan Walsh, uh, you know, tweeting things without without your say, essentially. But at the same time, from, from what I've heard from all different players that have played with Flower, I think um, 
you know, he's a guy that uh, is a good dressing room guy. And, and uh, you know, I think teams will probably take that for, for its value more so than, you know, what an agent's going to say. Um, you know, it, it's, it is what it is. I think when it comes to guys like Alan Walsh, I think they like to have their say. And, um, you know, uh, I think having a guy like that uh, does make it a little bit of a toxic relationship at times, but in the end, I mean, Flurry's numbers speak for themselves. And I think, you know, having a guy like that on your team could be, could be huge. But again, this is all speculation at this time. Yeah. Um, we're kind of going off what the stories are, 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 are floating out there. And, you know, obviously in Ontario lately, we've seen the big smoke coming through the, 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 uh, the, the sky out there. And right now we're dealing with a lot of smoke in the hockey world when it comes to, to flurry and the, the Vegas golden Knights. So, yeah. Um, I mean, going I off- kind of wish we were insiders at this point right now, because then we could give more information without crossing the line. But then again, we're just, you know, again, playing hypothetical GM mode like we are in NHL right now. Yeah. And you know what? Hey, one day we could be insiders one day. Let's finger. My fingers are crossed and I'm <laughs> knocking on wood right now. Hoping that happens. Yeah. We'll be, we'll be like, uh, yeah, those, uh, those outside insiders. Yeah. Um, going off of that, uh, some fun news out of Ottawa. Obviously, we're a Toronto podcast, Ottawa, big rivals. Um, but they did throw back their uh, their logo, and they're changing it back to the old-style Senators logo. And, um, you know, obviously not a Senators fan here, but uh, seeing that, I love it. I, I personally love the old logo. I think it brings back a lot of memories of the, the Toronto-Ottawa series that – Seem to happen year in and year out uh, in the playoffs. Alfredson, Sundin, you know, guys like Steve Thomas, Gary Roberts, you know, even even having Joe Newendike at times, uh, you know, it brings back a lot of memories for me. Um, and, and me personally, I like I love the throwback. I think it's a great idea for them. I think it was a big move by the organization, and uh, you know, it's good to see some good logos coming back. I don't know if you saw the, I mean, what the Toronto Blue Jays did with the new blue jerseys, right? Kind of like yeah. a new school twist with an old school vibe kind of thing. Yeah. That I hope they do that with that logo. Because it's very, I mean, it's simple, but at the same time, yeah, the retro looks, the retro's coming back in right now. I mean, we saw what the Ducks did with their kind of throwbacks with the, you know, the maroon, the turquoise, or teal. I don't know. I'm not really good with colors. Uh, with their vintage throwbacks, kind of like still modern day twists, right? So I'm hoping that, you know what, go back with that. I, I, want, I want to see that. I want to see a Leafs, ha- uh, Leafs Habs, sorry, Leafs Sens rivalry where it's our jerseys against theirs, old school, new school kind of vibe. And just I want to see a seven-game se- uh, seven series again like we did back in the early thousands, man. I'm hoping that this could, like, not necessarily reignite the rivalry, but that logo just serve a fire in many Lee fans right now that like, oh man, things are going to get real. Yeah, no. And, and like I said, a, a little bit of fun news when, when the world is kind of turned upside down at the moment. So definitely a good move by the senators and, and hopefully it, uh, like you said, reignites uh, the rivalry that we got to witness in the late nineties, early two thousands. So um, going off of that, uh, you know, obviously we don't want to talk too much about COVID in in this podcast. Uh, we've done our PSAs at the beginning. That said, mm-hmm. there is some news that is coming from that. Um, the USHL 
two teams have bowed out of this, the 2020-21 season. Uh, the Cedar Rapids Rough Riders and the Madison Capitals will not participate in the, the upcoming uh, season. Mm-hmm. Um, some of that stemming from the inability to host spectators. Obviously, that's a big revenue stream for leagues like this. Um, uh, it's going to be the first USHL season without the Rough Riders since they joined the league in 1999-2000. As for the Capitals, it was 2014-15 when they joined this, the the uh, league. For those players, they won't miss out. Um, obviously, there will be a dispersal draft for the players that come from those two organizations. And with that said, the USHL is set to start the season um, November 6th. So, Obviously, some some disappointing news from those two teams. That said, uh, obviously we have to be understanding in a time like this that uh, you know, obviously, no, not every team can carry on the way that they have in in the normal world. No, absolutely, and it's great that they're doing that kind of draft to try and at least get them to play to improve their um, value as a potential player or prospect in future drafts. So that's so that's a little bit of a bright spot, but at the same time. It's a really tough decision given where we are at right now, and especially in the states where, you know, where I mean cases are up for are like 400 here in Canada, but or Ontario, sorry, um, but it's nowhere near as what we're seeing with the case numbers in the U.S. And you know what, health is first. I'm sorry if you got to make that decision between playing hockey and your health too, or like putting the lives of your staff, coaching staff, players, and everybody else first, so be it. I mean, it's a tough decision, but you got to make that point. you got to say, we value you more than maybe, you know, we value just the game kind of thing, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And uh, like I said, uh, we don't want to get too much into it. Uh, Obviously, we've had that discussion on multiple Mm -hmm. podcasts now starting this in quarantine. Um, But... uh, Definitely disappointing for a team or, or a league that only hosts uh, 16 teams uh, to lose two of them. Um, yeah. But again, we talk about the revenue and, and leagues like that. They they kind of feed off of that revenue. So um, obviously, you know, good opportunity for the players to still get moving. But, um, you know, and it's not the only news that came from sort of this COVID uh, movement here. Um Obviously, in in Canada, one of our biggest moments every year we've talked about is the World Juniors. Yes, missed out on it. Uh, um, um, there was a lot of talk of whether we're going to miss out on it uh, next season. Um, there is talk that it could be a 2021 World Junior in the Edmonton bubble. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that worked out for the NHL this year. Um, so it could be something that, uh, th- they look at and, and I believe the W W double I H F man, I stumbled over that one. The double <laughs> I H F yeah. Double I H F will be looking at that, uh, as, as a, a legitimate possibility for 2021. Um, the tournament was set to be hosted by Red Deer and Edmonton this, this season, this upcoming season. Um, they'll look to push that to the 2022 World Juniors, hopefully in front of spectators, return to those cities of Red Deer and Edmonton, um, and then they'll the the following two will be 2023 in Novo Novosibirsk, Russia, and 2024 in Gothenburg, uh, Sweden, which was originally supposed to host the 2022 World Junior Championship. Yeah. So obviously the IIHF is looking at possibilities to 
maintain this tournament. It is an important tournament in the development of some of these young players going into their draft seasons. Uh, some of the young players that haven't been drafted, as well as some of the players that have been drafted already into the NHL, participate in this season. And, you know, as a Canadian, I love sitting down in the holiday season and watching this tournament every year. So, yeah. Um, you know, I would I would love for it to to happen. If it doesn't, uh, obviously that you know it's for a good reason. But uh, if they can make it work in the Edmonton bubble, I don't see mm-hmm. why it it shouldn't go on. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gordon Miller came out with that list about you know Canada and Sweden swapping 2022 and 2024, given the situation that we have. But he also lays out the uh, list of host uh, countries after that. So. It's U.S., Canada, Finland, Czech, Canada, U.S., Russia, Canada from 2025 all the way to 2032. But I know, yeah, I know we talked about this last week when the news broke that they could possibly go to awards a bubble. I mean, this whole entire NHL playoffs is proof, right? I mean, we're at seven or eight weeks. I'm pretty sure it's seven, maybe eight. I don't know. I, I, I'm i I'm losing count of like weeks and days during this whole quarantine thing. But um seven or eight weeks without any positive tests in a bubble. And that is absolutely fantastic news from the NHL side. And if you're the double IHF right now, you have the option right now to follow their lead, to follow what they did and replicate the success that they had. Um, I, I don't have it with me, but I'm pretty sure when they were talking about this or did that affect, I think they would have to test players before their flights come in quarantine for four days, constant testing after that kind of like the same thing that happened here. Um, no spectators. That's a given despite even where we are as a country. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, it's a great opportunity for players to showcase their, you know, their skill set and, help out with their um stock for the draft because i mean next year or this year depending on like if he makes it or not i would love to see shane wright uh be a force i mean uh matvey mitchkov i know he's like very young but hey maybe next year's tournament he can make an impact being where he's at i mean there are a lot of exciting players coming up in the next few years that if the world juniors didn't happen I mean, obviously it'd be sad for us, but it would probably be a, a really down point in their career because these are promising players, promising prospects that, you know, they live for this moment. They live for this tournament. They live to play for their country as well. And to see that take a hold, obviously health and safety first, but if it didn't happen, it would kind of be a disappointment for them as well. Yeah, I know a hundred percent. And, uh, you know, we talk about, uh, young players and, um, and what they mean to the game. And I saved this story for last because I think it's, uh, you know, obviously something we're, we're an inclusive podcast and, and mm-hmm. uh, obviously something that's, uh, you know, big news. And I think it's great news. Um, Very. Uh, but, uh, and I, I apologize if I butcher this name, but Yannick Duplessis, uh, a QMJHL draft pick uh, for the Drummondville Voltageros uh, in 2019, 17 year old, um, this is a kid with the elite level play um, on the ice. Um, obviously, came out uh, this week as, as gay, and um, you know I think it's a it's a big story for hockey in general. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a lot about uh, 
um, just the inclusiveness of, of hockey, um, both from a, a gender standpoint, a, um, uh, an ethnic standpoint, a race standpoint, all that kind of stuff, uh, how important it is to change hockey culture. And uh, what a way to start that with a guy like this coming out and, and discussing his, his uh, sexuality and, and being open to it. And I just want to read one quote that uh, really stuck out to me. And he said, mm-hmm. it was a struggle for me and it shouldn't be. And yeah. that was, that was for me, it, that is everything. And that's exactly what it should be. You should be able to come out and, and be who you are and not have to worry about what your surroundings are. Um, and he, he went on to say, it shouldn't be a big deal. And it's sh- absolutely, it should not be a big deal. And I think this is huge for him to, to come out and, and be, um, be who he is. And that's for me, I think it was just, you know, it was an uplifting story in a time where, you know, you're kind of looking for uplifting events to, to, you know, take faith in the world again. Yeah, actually that was one line that struck, that struck a chord with me too. Um, what you just said. And, and like you said, it shouldn't be difficult to come out. Oh, no, wait, this is why it is difficult for many to come out because they fear that, you know, they're afraid of being themselves, right? Yeah. And this is why coming out as gay, lesbian, transgender, bisexual, whatever, it it isn't easy. And we see that today, that people do struggle with it. And given the way that there's a whole stigma around it that, oh, you're, you know, kind of like an abomination and people judge others based on their sexual orientation. And it's just sickening to see because they are like you and me. They're no different whatsoever. It's it's still appalling that we still live in this world where we still have that notion that it's wrong to be gay, lesbian, or whatever so sexual orientation that you may define with. Because it again, it's this is a topic where you know what I'm still very like I'm scratching my head because kind of like race, we're still having this discussion right now. We should be more open to people being who they are yet you're going up against even if you have like certain beliefs if you're told to love one another you're not loving certain people and that goes against basically the golden rule of like whatever you believe in right yeah no and 100 percent. and i'm I'm kind of in the same spot as you like obviously you want you want to say so much about this but at the same time um you're just kind of stuck in the fact that why are we still having this discussion why are yeah. we still needing to have this discussion? It should be something that, you know, is so simple. We just shrug our shoulders at and say, you know what? It is what it is because at the end of the day, you know, these are people. These are people. Yeah. And who they who they care about, who they love, who they look at, who they, who they you know, lust after. Like, we have no say in that. That's none of our business. Absolutely. None, none of anyone's business. Mm-hmm. Let them do their thing, um, you know, and, and – they love who they love and that's you can't change that and and you you shouldn't want to change something like that so i think i think it was a great story and i just i had to save it for last because it's uh mm-hmm. you know it's um something that i think is just uh, a great story and and kudos to him for for having the courage to to in a day and age where we're still having these 
awful discussions and, and yeah. where, you know, hockey culture is still needing some sort of change. Uh, good for him for coming out and, and being who he is. And I, yeah. you know, I appreciate it. Uh, kudos to you, Yannick. Yeah. Same here, Yannick. If you could hear this, we do appreciate you. Um, love conquer, love conquers all being who you are and what you're doing right now. This is what it means to be a hockey player, the strength, the courage, and the character, this is what the sport is all about. And right now, he's embodying all those characteristics. Yeah, um, he even said that. Like, he was afraid because, you know, there's a stigma or, like, the notion that hockey is a man sport. If we want hockey to be for everyone, then that culture needs to change. And I think Yannick is going to be one of those vo- vocal leaders leading that charge of changing hockey culture right now. So, again, congrats to him. We, you have our support no matter what happens, and just go with it, man. We're we're rooting for you 100. percent Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Um, just before we do get to discussing the Cup final, which uh, should be an exciting one, um, I just wanted to quickly mention that our Mark Scheig at the Hockey Writers, um, he just reported so. It looks as though the Senators, who have the third and fifth pick in the upcoming draft, have had multiple discussions with guys, uh, with players Cole Perfetti and Jake Sanderson. Um, Mark re- replied to uh, the Senator Central report saying that Jamie Drysdale is also another guy that uh, Ottawa has mo- has had multiple meetings with. So, obviously, Ottawa is looking to go after um, a-, a forward and a defenseman with their two early picks. Um, mm-hmm. Sanderson and Drysdale seem to be the guys that they're, they're eye, eyeing right now. Um, it, it could be interesting as there is, uh, you know, Stutzel's obviously up there as well, but, uh, you know, it's a conversation to be had for Senators fans. Uh, we won't get too much into it as again, a lot of speculation and, uh, you know, we're a Toronto podcast, so we don't want to, we don't want to see the Senators succeed. Yeah. I'm just going to say one thing about this. I mean, fantastic reporting from Mark. My thing is this, I would love to see Cole Perfetti and Jamie Drysdale reunite. Um, I was at the World Junior Selection Camp. There was a moment where both of them were skating and talking with each other because of their days going back to the GTHL, OHL days right now, going up in the same draft year. I would love to see them as teammates. Yeah, no, it'd, it'd be it'd be good to see. Um, obviously, you know, Ottawa's got a lot of, a lot of, uh, a, a, well, a bright future ahead of them. And, uh, Definitely. you know, Two top uh, two picks in the top five this year is certainly going to help them. So um, definitely, definitely something to keep an eye on and, and give Mark a follow if you're if you're not following him right now on Twitter. Yes. Um, the Cup final set to start tonight, uh, Saturday. Yes. We are recording Game One tonight. Uh, obviously, this won't be up till Tuesday, but Dallas, Tampa Bay. We had this discussion last episode or mm-hmm. the prior episode about who our cup final is. Uh, you know, obviously Dallas and, and Tampa Bay, I had them going to the final. Um, yep. Miro Heiskanen, my my MVP pick, my Smythe pick still in there. But uh, aside from that, is this a good Stanley Cup final for hockey right now? Um, you know, obviously Dallas hasn't been to the final in some time. Tampa there without Stamkos in the lineup. We discussed that last episode. Um, you know, I, I think there's, it's going to be an exciting final in terms of, uh, in terms of 
the offensive production. I think there's a lot of a lot of excitement to come from both sides. Um, that said, I also think it could be a goalie matchup in in the way that Kadobin's playing, and you know, obviously a, a Vesna Trophy winner in, in Vasilevsky in uh, in in net across from him. So, um, what what do you, what do you think about this uh, this Stanley Cup final for the NHL? I mean, I was hoping for my Vegas uh, Tampa Bay matchup, but hey, beggars can't be choosers. But at the same time, Dallas did a great job. I mean, their defense stymied Vegas, uh, blocking shots after shots, clogging up the middle. I mean, obviously, Anton Kudobin was a brick wall in that, but I don't know what Vegas could have done more. It's just Dallas took, an, like, they capitalized on their opportunities. And I'm just looking at those series numbers for that uh, series. Vegas control had 52.93% of the shot attempts against compared to uh, Dallas's 47%. And Dallas had the advantage of scoring chances 94 to 85 at five on five. But obviously, you know, because they had more uh, scoring chances or more scoring chances for than against, otherwise more so given the fact that they were leading that department as opposed to shot attempts. But was luck on their side? Maybe, but you know what? Like I said, they scored at the right times, and that's what the playoffs are all about. Making It doesn't matter, basically, if you're getting out shot. Yeah, you have the advantage, but if you capitalize and goals matter, Dallas just slightly came out on top with the multiple one-goal games during that series. There was one nothing, 3-2, 2-1, 3-2. Aside from game two, it was very close. And Dallas just had that one shot go in and it was the difference maker. Yeah. And uh, like you said, you know, I I honestly was expecting that series to go a little bit longer. Um, mm-hmm. That said, Dallas just found a way to get it done. And I think, honestly, Kudobin's playing out of his mind. If Heiskanen doesn't get the uh, con Smythe, definitely yeah. look for that, uh, that to go his way. So, um It'll be an interesting final to uh, to say the least, and and there is potential that we do see Stamkos. Um, there's a lot of talk that he won't be ready for Game One, but uh, he could be could suit up uh, later in the series, depending yeah. on how long it goes. For sure. Um, jumping over to what you guys all tune in for. Obviously, we've got a lot of Maple Leafs talk this uh, this episode. Um, yes. I want to start it off with you know obviously Kyle Clifford. Uh, there was a lot of talk after he uh, deleted the Toronto Maple Leafs from his social media profiles on Instagram, Twitter. Um, it looks as though he will test free agency with the team, uh, just kind of up against the cap and and in the direction that they're looking to go. Maybe Clifford was not a, a fit for Toronto. I wanted him to stay so bad. I mean, yeah, I was right there with you. Given what we okay, it was a short set or a small sample during the regular season, but what we saw during the playoffs, he's exactly what this team needs in order to be a physical presence. And we saw that where he was just, you know, hitting everything in sight. I mean, and that fourth line was phenomenal, especially after there was so much of an issue that they really couldn't um get anything going. And I'm really happy that Kyle Clifford was there to help lead that charge. I mean, but if his demands are way too high, 
I can understand why you move away from him because you could use that money elsewhere to address an even more important positional need. Granted, I'm I'm all for the um, proponent that, you know, you need some physicality, especially in the playoffs. But also another silver lining is that second pick that was a conditional one. If he resigned, it would have gone to L.A. We keep that pick. So an added bonus right there. Money could be used elsewhere. And. Yeah, I guess just prioritizing some needs in the organization on the team right now. Yeah, and honestly, I think the uh, the second round pick could play a huge role in in what uh, what ultimately made the decision happen for the Maple Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to quote uh, to quote uh, Paul Bissonnette, I think uh, you know the the team will have to find some meat and potatoes somewhere else because I think. Honestly, you need that physicality in your lineup. If you don't have it, you're going to run into the same problem year after year, especially when you're going up against teams like Boston and, uh, you know, obviously your divisional rivals. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe Clifford just wasn't the fit. And, and obviously, you know, we talked about earlier in the episode, we're the outsiders rather than the insiders. So we don't have all, all, the, all the facts. But, um, you know, I, I too was uh, sad to see him go. I think uh, his sample size wasn't big enough for us to really make that decision from the outside. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think the physicality that he brought to the lineup is exactly what the Leafs need. It's just a matter of, you know, what they're going to or who they're going to go out and get. And if they are able to get a cheaper option, that kind of brings the same same toughness to the lineup moving forward. Yeah, and you could easily try and find that in free agency at a cheaper cap hit too. I mean, as much as I want Clifford, you could. There are options out there that could fill out that fourth line. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. Um, on on the bench side of things, uh, the Leafs did bring in Manny Malhotra as a as an assistant coach to Sheldon Keefe. Um, Malhotra's been co- an assistant coach for the uh, Vancouver Canucks over the last three seasons. Um, obviously it's nice to see him get, have that, uh, have that coaching history, uh, not coming in fresh, uh, um, fresh with, with no experience. Um, Malhotra, you know, a guy that suffered an eye injury back in 2011, his playing mm-hmm. career kind of came to an end in 2015, 16 after a stint in the AHL. Uh, but a guy who has always been known for his leadership, um, I, from what I've been reading, there's nothing but good things being said about his uh, his um, influence behind the bench as well. Um, and, you know, I think it's a great addition to the coaching staff. It should help their power play. Uh, he's he's he just sees the game differently. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good uh, good signing for the Leafs. Yeah, and again, this is this is one of those things that just came out of nowhere. I mean, I'm just scrolling through Twitter, and then all of a sudden I see, oh, Lee signed Manny Malhotra. Okay, great. Um, that I, I was not expecting that whatsoever. And to have Malhotra, Malhotra um, on the team, given what the Canucks have gone through or how they progressed the past few years, I really love this move behind the bench. I mean... I'm going to talk about Manny Malhotra for just a quick second as a player, as as someone who prided on faceoffs and positional play in his own end. He was a major force, and whenever I played, I like to replicate that kind of style of play, especially in the faceoff dot. Um, whenever he was on the TV, I would watch him specifically because he was always such a great faceoff kind of guy. But now with him behind the bench and taking over Paul McFarland. Um, I'm assuming he is going to take over the power play and also help the forwards out as well. 
you get the sense that what you saw with the Canucks did on the power play, they had a pretty good power play. I mean, with, especially when you have, you know, uh, Pedersen, Besser, Horvat, Quinn Hughes on the back end right now, you're going to have some success and they ha- found success. So even though he wasn't a part of the power play, it, what he saw on the bench, he could utilize that and help Toronto out, especially on a team where you have a shooter in Austin Matthews. You have a setup guy in Marner. You have a puck mover in Riley, uh, a body presence in Tavares, Nylander as well. You have players where you could take what he did, what was done in Vancouver and put your own twist on it in Toronto. And for that, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. And I, like I said, I think it's a great addition to the team. Um, obviously there's bigger news, uh, surrounding the Maple Leafs right now. And, um, this is, this is, listen, this is what everybody's been waiting for. We saved um, the best for last. Save the best for last. Uh, you know, obviously Pietrangelo, uh, the potential that he could come to Toronto, to Toronto. Uh, again, rumors swirling, smoke and fire is the smoke mm-hmm. kind of leading to something. Um, you know, there's been a lot of talk lately about, uh, about, uh, Toronto going out and getting a, a defenseman like Pietrangelo and, uh, his name has definitely floated around in, in talks with the Maple Leafs. Um, but, uh, recent, uh, recent news has, has contract talks between him and the St. Louis blues kind of, uh, falling off. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously this is exactly what, uh, what Toronto needs, um, in in trying to move forward and get over the hump um but uh a guy that uh could could ultimately change the outlook for for toronto moving forward um just uh some recent news that just broke um about an hour ago it looks like pietrangelo's camp had come up uh as high as 9.25 million per year um, that's just over the contract that uh, Preds D-man uh, Roman Yossi is getting at 9.059 AAV. Yossi also had a $34 million in signing bonus uh, built into the first four years of his deal. So obviously uh, Petro's looking for some uh, some length to the contract, but he's also looking for a big do- dollar amount. And uh, I think if Toronto's going to do it, they're going to have to obviously move a few more contracts to make the room, but uh, it's definitely a possibility by the sounds of it. Yeah. And given the, that number right now, you're already looking at William Nylander in the first round pick or to try and get something in return, but also move that contract out. Um, honestly, this has been, this is stemmed early on in this week. And I know that, um, that it's just been, it was quiet for the longest time. And now all of a sudden things have picked up and it was at a point where, uh, Jeremy Rutherford tweeted that blues were going 7.7 AAV, 7.7 million. And also given the fact that, you know, he wants money, it was going to be between eight and 9 million slightly over because, you know, comparable you, when you think of Alex Petrangelo, you think of Roman Yossi. All-round player, um, capable of playing big minutes, and he's earned it. And not only that, Petrangelo has a cup, so he wants more money for his value. I mean, like like you said, money money's going to have to be sent out. Andreas Janssen's going to have to be sent out. You're probably going to be looking at Alex Kerfoot as well. 
definitely Nylander with his almost $7 million because there's like a three quarters of his contract right there. Um, it's an interesting situation right now. And with that being the targets, you're definitely going to have to make some moves right now if you're Toronto. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think I wonder, too, if, um, you know, if Toronto's the place that he lands, uh, are we talking about a, a bigger dollar amount? Because you, you start talking about taxes and, and all that in, in the province, and um, obviously, you know, that comes into play with a lot of players in, in Toronto, and I think that's why sometimes it's it's a tough landing spot for a lot of free agents. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, it's you you said it. If, if this is where it's going to go, obviously... Toronto's going to have to look to move some big contracts. And, you know, when we talked to Mark Masters a couple of weeks ago, he he mentioned how it seems like Toronto wants to keep the core four together, which, you know, yeah. you're talking about Tavares, Nylander, um, Matthews, and Marner. But uh, if if you have a chance to go out and sign Petrangelo long-term uh, for, for a decent dollar amount, uh, you know, in the hopes that the cap rises over the next couple of seasons – um, obviously you're going to have to move one of those four guys. And, and right now I think Nylander seems to be the odd man out. Yeah, no, definitely. And Kristen Shilton just, uh, well, not just because this is 13 hours ago, but she also mentioned, um, what kind of general center would there be for top end UFA? I mean, you already have a flat cap at 81.5 million. Does he, you know, take a slight decrease given the fact that, you know, Toronto does have a cap situation, that there is a flat cap, not only for them, but for other teams around the league? I don't know. I'm not Alex Petrangelo. I'm not going to speak for him. But, you know, it's possible maybe that that could happen. I doubt it because, let's face it, players want their value. And I'm all for that. Um, Also, you have to worry about what's going to happen to the team after this, you know. You need to sign Rasmus Sandin, Nick Robertson, because they're going to be up on their uh, entry-level deals. Could you? Are you going to re-sign Zach Hyman? Are you going to re-sign Morgan Riley? So it's not just now. It's also your future down the line that could possibly be affected from it. Yeah, no, 100%. And the other thing to think about is, you know, is it worth being being Petrangelo knowing that the cap is kind of stale right now? Mm-hmm. Is it is it worth signing maybe a one or two year contract and, and re-signing again the following year when the, possibly we see a, a climb in the cap um, where you might get a little bit more money on free agency? Like right now, you have to think free agency is going to be tight. Um, there's a lot of teams that uh, don't have the room to add a lot of uh, a lot of cap, and mm-hmm. um, you know I I think it it could be it could be a tougher year for free agents in terms of getting what they're worth just because of where where the the money's at uh, for a lot yeah. of these clubs. So uh, it's definitely worth keeping an eye on. Um, but uh, if the Leafs are able to add a guy like that, uh, obviously could be a guy that gets them over the hump uh, when it comes to playoff contention. Just to add on, or just to follow up on your point about the one or two-year deal with Petrangelo, could happen. But at the same time, if you're looking at like a Tory Krug situation, because he already signed a long-term deal, because he's already proved his worth, would he take a short-term deal? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, and that that's why I bring it up, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's something that 
the potential is there only because of where the the cap is at. Um, and maybe in that case, you're looking at a one-year deal, go to a team where you think you could win another cup, and, and maybe that even ups your value uh, down the road. Yeah. Um, but that said, you know, players of, of that magnitude, players of that, at that age want to kind of get their, get their future locked up and, and know, uh, what's coming year in and year out. So I think from, if I'm, if I'm Petrangelo, I'm looking for a six, seven year, year deal, um, that, uh, is going to, is going to set me up good for the rest of my career. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, you know, it, it's just where the dollar amount is right now. And, and like I said, I think free agency, it's going to be interesting to see how teams work it out because, you know, there, there's not a lot of cap space there for a lot of teams. So mm-hmm. it'll be it'll be managing the cap and whatever team does it best will have the the opportunity to sign some of these big free agent free agents. You mentioned a seven year deal. I mean, people are always going to say that they don't want to sign someone in their 30s to a seven or eight year deal because, you know, injury concerns they're going to be past their prime and i totally understand that but given how consistent petrangelo has been and even like the way that he played in his 38th like at age 30 this year i'm i'll i'm not so against giving him that seven-year deal because he is very durable he's kind of like that whole joe thornton you know, Patrick Marlowe kind of thing where even if they get to that age, he could still be a very durable guy and he takes care of himself very well. So injuries may not be that much of a concern. Production, yeah, you're always risking that. But he could still be, you know, at 37, a 30, 40 point guy still playing, you know, 20, 20 25 minutes a game, right? Yeah, so, it might just be more of a defensive, uh, defensive-minded guy, and and take a step back on the offensive end. That's that's kind of what you're looking at when you sign yeah. a a guy like that to a, a long-term deal. And we know how good defensively he is. So, hey, if it if that means that you know maybe he takes a dip in production to still be a defensive stalwart, it's still worth it. Yeah, no, 100. percent And jumping from, you know, obviously talking about a guy who's on the back end of his career and, and getting a little bit older, um, the Leafs and the draft. And that's, you know, um, that's what we want to talk about. We brought on, um, obviously our guest uh, today is, uh, is an NHL draft and prospect guy over at the hockey writers, Eastern Canada and crossover scout for, uh, FC hockey, uh, future considerations. Um, let's throw to our interview with, uh, Josh Bell right now. So, folks, we're super pleased to welcome prospect guru Josh Bell to the uh, show, uh, NHL draft prospects for the Hockey Raiders and Eastern Canada and crossover scout for future considerations. Uh, Josh, welcome aboard, and uh, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. I always love that uh, term, guru. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, over the last couple of seasons, you've uh, you've definitely delved into the, uh, the world of uh, prospects and... Uh, you know, we said it earlier in our show that, um, you know, definitely a good follow for, for anybody who's looking ahead to not only this year, but uh, future future drafts for the NHL as well. Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate that. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun to follow the, the draft the last couple of years. Absolutely. Yes. I've, I've even given you the moniker as sort of like, I've only been at the Hockey Raiders for a short amount of time, but you're basically our resident scout, kind of like Craig <laughs> Button on TSN right now. So I like that. Yeah, so obviously we're, you know, a Toronto podcast. Uh, we like to talk a little bit of everything, though. But, uh, 
you know, Toronto made a big move already this offseason to acquire a first-round pick, uh, the 15th overall from Pittsburgh. Um, What are your thoughts on that? And, uh, you know, is Toronto a team that might look to move that pick, or are they they looking to maybe uh, hold on to it and and take advantage of uh, what seems to be a pretty good first round uh, in the upcoming draft? Yeah, if I mean, if they're going to grab a first round pick, this is the draft to do it. Uh, I think it was I think it was a really good deal. I, I can't believe Pittsburgh made that happen, but uh, good for Dubis and the Leafs. Yeah, grabbing a, a top fifteen pick in this draft is going to be great. Whether they whoever they take, it's going to be a really great player, a really big impact player down the line for them. So I think it's it's perfect. Um, in terms of them moving it, you never know with Dubis. I think he could. Um, I can't see them moving out of the first round now, but I could see him moving down and adding another pick later on in the draft, something like that. And he'd probably have to get a, a piece in return too. But uh, yeah, it's it's definitely one one of those picks that you have to keep an eye on. And in the last, uh, what do we have, two and a half weeks here? Josh, how excited, how excited are you knowing that it's only two and a half weeks away? I'm pretty excited. It's been a long time coming. I was uh, I was talking to somebody on Twitter saying uh, you almost get kind of tired of it. It's been so long. But yeah. uh, now that we're getting closer, it's, it's exciting. Sticking with the pick uh, or just that trade for a quick second. Um, I mean, I've studied up on Philip Hollander quite a bit. I'm really excited for him. But for those that are listening that aren't quite familiar, what's the scouting report on him? Uh, let me just pull up my notes here. I have uh, I had quite a bit on him after the, the move just to make sure I was up to date on him. Perfect. Um, yeah, so Hollander, he's he's very under the radar, it seems. Like I, I'll admit I didn't even have him in my, my top 100 prospects, but uh, he was very close. Uh, but he's very good skater. That's going to be the first thing you notice in him. Uh, I think he could be top six, likely more like more likely middle six. Um, but he's just very, very good at what he does. He can rack up the points. He's good in his own end. He's kind of that good potential two-way all-round winger. Josh, you talked a lot about uh, just recently uh, among us writers um, how – you're following has has uh, really built over the last little while. Um, what does it mean to you to be kind of that go-to guy on Twitter now that, uh, you know, a lot of people are coming to you asking the questions regarding the draft and, and uh, prospects for their their clubs in particular? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a little surreal, to be honest. I get uh, requests to be on podcasts and questions. I, I remember at the beginning of the season, I threw out a question if anybody had something for a mailbag, and I got no responses. And then... Just uh, last month, I threw it out again, and I had so many responses that I had to do four separate mailbags. So it's just kind of been interesting to see it grow. Um, I, I still, I'm going to be honest, I don't feel like that go-to guy. Uh, there's so many people that I still go to, but it's uh, it's it's really cool to, to see people really kind of care what my opinion is and uh, seek it out. Josh, um, in order to be sort of like in the prospect game, um, analyzing the players coming up, um, what are some factors that you look to that, you know, other people may want to follow in your direction and sort of be that scout, be that analyst and analyze these players going forward? Like, what do you look for in the player? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the biggest thing I look for, I think, is uh, is compete. Um, you want to see them always going. You don't want to see them take their foot off the gas. I think that's a, that's a really big thing. Uh, transferable trait if you're always going then you can't change that it's something you can't really teach um, I've also been uh, been trying to study up a lot this summer and get better and um, 
the hockey IQ and processing aspect of the game is you don't, it's not something you can really see very easily, like just if, unless you are looking for it. The people who can read the ice really well, the people who get the puck, you can see that split second decision that they read the play and they make the best possible play to drive the play forward, to make a play, to lead to a high danger chance. Um, so just that moving, moving the play forward, but that split second thinking. Josh, we, we uh, obviously talk a lot about prospect rankings. Uh, you know, we do it at the Hockey Raiders. You guys do it at Future Considerations. They, it's, it's done basically all over the internet these days. Um, but we, we don't talk enough about if teams draft more for necessity rather than the best available players. That's something that, you know, you look at or, or do you think that teams should more, focus more on on just drafting the best possible player at the time that, of their pick? I think you should always take best player available. I mean, that's that's what all these rankings out in the public are. It's kind of who different organizations and people think is the best player available. But then you look at what happens in the draft, and it's never going to go that way. You're going to see defensemen jump up. You're going to see forwards drop. Uh, so teams definitely look by necessity, I think. Uh, it, it's kind of interesting, though, this year with Lafreniere right at the top. And really, the Rangers don't need a left winger, but they're probably going to take him because he's the best player available. But Quinton Byfield would be very, very interesting. What are so, what are you most excited about this draft, Josh? For me, I mean, obviously, we know that Lafreniere is the top consensus pick, but after that, it could be wide open. I mean, there's debate between uh, Tim Stutzla and Quinton Byfield going 2-3. Yeah. Um, lots of movement, 4-10, to 10, even after that. Um what what are this draft compared to other ones in the past? Sorry, what was that? You broke up a little bit right at the end. What are some things that stand out about this draft compared to ones in the past? Uh, so this there's so many high-end forwards at the top of this class. and But then there's a couple defensemen and a goaltender that could really go anywhere in that mix. So it's going to be really interesting to see what team takes that first bite at a defenseman. Because then I think you could see... A little bit of a chain reaction. So Sanderson could go very quickly after Drysdale, and then a couple spots later, you could see other defensemen go. I know Braden Schneider, Caden Gooley, they've been mentioned a little bit. So it's going to be really interesting. And then uh, seeing what the Senators do with those two picks, that's uh, going to be that's going to set the tone for the rest of the top ten because you kind of think you know what you're going to, they're going to do with the third pick, whether it's like you said Stutzler or Byfield. But that fifth one is going to be really interesting to watch. Earlier yeah. on in the show, we just basically touched on the Ottawa Senators and their draft picks, and I saw something to the effect that they could, the Senators could take both Jamie Drysdale and Cole Perfetti in the top five. Do you see that happening, or is that kind of a bit of a stretch? I think that's a bit of a stretch. I, I can't see them passing on Stutzler or Byfield at that top pick, uh, but you never know. They could, uh, they could surprise. They did last year taking Lassie Thompson in the first round. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I can see Drysdale or Perfetti at the five spot, but I don't really see either one of them at the three. Although I have seen that some scouts, NHL scouts think that Drysdale could go higher than people think. It's a, you almost, you mentioned it there. Like, it's almost like it's, uh, you know, in fantasy football, you, you see one running back go and then everybody panics mm-hmm. and starts picking running backs. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of the same thing this year. Yeah, it's going to be kind of the same thing with defensemen in this draft. You, you know, you see one go, and then it's going to start 
start a, a an effect that kind of rolls out from there. But um, one question I had: you have you have uh, Askarov in your final rankings, uh, number eleven. Is that a guy that could potentially move up if a team like Ottawa looks for you know maybe some goalie depth um, in their system? Yeah, I think so. It's uh, I had him in my top ten for most of the year. Uh, I just really loved. Rodion Amirov, so I had to get him in there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, Askarov is definitely a guy that some team could bite in the in the top, maybe even five. You never know. Uh, with everybody kind of hyping him as the the next Carey Price, right? So it, it he's definitely going to be a name to watch. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go up, and I wouldn't be surprised to see him slide a little bit. Josh, I know, I'm I gotta ask you this. I know we talked about this quite a bit offline in our little chats that we have with our group. What is I'm I'm guilty a fan of jumping on the Braden Schneider train. <laughs> Why do you think he has gained so much attention, especially in Leafs Nation right now, and even the media at some points to think having him be that fifteenth overall pick? Because I know that he's slated to be anywhere, you know, a couple spots after to maybe mid twenties. Is it just the fact that the Leafs need him because of position, handedness? Where do you think this hype came from? Yeah, I think if you watch the Maple Leafs in the playoffs, you could tell that there's a need for a defensive defenseman, and that right shot defenseman would be wonderful as well. And so that's kind of where I think the hype is coming from. He's probably one of the best right-hand shots in this draft. Uh, I just I don't get it, really. I have him at 36, <laughs> which is maybe a little low. I had him uh, kind of borderline first round mm-hmm. all season. Uh, I just... I really don't like it for the Leafs at 15. <laughs> He's that position would be something I would look for at later rounds or even the second round. You go for a guy like uh, Ryan O'Rourke or Yoni Yermo. Yeah. I, I just at 15, you're going to pass up some really good talent that I think you're going to look back in a few years and think, ah, oh, what could we, what have we done? That's, that's typical, though, of Leafs Nation. I mean, we tend to do that quite often. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's hard to do that. I think every team does that too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, just uh, outside of that first round, um, can you give us maybe two or three guys that you you think that uh, kind of fly under the radar, but uh, teams should really, really kind of focus on maybe taking a closer look at? One guy, uh, the Leafs have the 55th pick, right? Mm-hmm. 44. 44. 44. They moved yeah. up because of the elimination right. from the right. playoffs. Okay, so he used to have the 55th. But the guy I have there is uh, Daniel, Daniel Gustin. And he's a little bit smaller, but he's that uh, that perfect defend, or perfect for, small forward that can step right in the NHL, I think. Not next year, but let's step in and kind of his traits will transfer. Uh, he's, just, he's just really, really good. And I think if he had two, three inches, a lot of people would consider him in the first round. Um, he wouldn't, he'd be a guy I could see going right at the top of the second, maybe even bottom of the first. But uh, not a whole like lot of Robert. Yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. I, I don't think he's got that uh, that goal scoring ability, but uh, he's he's kind of that all round player that I'm kind of surprised isn't uh, talked about a little bit more. Um, and one other guy, uh, Yermir Pitlick. So I know a lot of people kind of soured on him over the year, mm-hmm. but I really like him still. I have him at 44. Uh, there's that other pick for you, um, but. It kind of it kind of makes sense who St. Marie's maybe, um, but he's two way centerman, um, and a lot of people thought he didn't really have the offense you wanted to see in him. But then at the U20 summer camps this year, he looked very good. Granted, that wasn't against the same level of talent that's in the OHL, but uh, 
he's still a player I, I think is one of the top 10 OHL prospects out of this draft. Yeah, I mean, early on when the Leafs had the 50th pick, I was really, really high on him, mm-hmm. uh, Pitlick, because of his, uh, and the coach has, like, really touted his pro mentality and how he's able to adapt into any situation. But you mentioned Pitlick's uh, play during the U-20 summer camps. I mean, he looked fantastic, setting up plays, um, basically in the tight areas in front of the net, too, finding his teammates. Is that something that, you know, would benefit the Maple Leafs, considering that, you know, they have certain sh- uh, like shooters, but to get that play down low and crash the net, would that help in terms of their offensive game? Yeah, I think he'd be a good player to look. I uh, he'd, he'd be that uh, third line center down the line, I think, but he'd, he'd be perfect in that role for, like you said, making plays. I think he could chip in offensively, even though we didn't see it a whole lot this year. And uh, he'd be great in his own end as well. So he's he's definitely a player that I think a team could bite even earlier than people think. Josh, there's a lot of talk about uh, next year, the draft being 2021, I mean, um, being very defensive uh, in terms of the first round and early talent. Yeah. Um, is it something that maybe, you know, from a Leaf standpoint, if you don't get your guy this this draft, you kind of wait until the following year and, and look to, to make that move then? Or, or, I mean, obviously we know that they're in need of a defenseman right now. Is, there, is that a hole they can fill for another year and try and see what they can do until the 2021 draft? Yeah, I think if they're going to, they, like you said, they need a defenseman now. So I don't think it's going to come through the draft for that. Schneider is probably one of the more NHL-ready players in this draft, uh, just based on his, his size and his skill set. But uh, I think for a team that is going to try to be contending for the Cup again, they're, they're going to look free agency, a trade. They're going to get somebody who's already in the NHL. Uh, so looking towards... If you're, it depends on who's already off the board, and uh, how you think you're going to do next year. If you think next year might be rough, then maybe take a forward this year and look for a defenseman next year. Because I I think there's a few defensemen next year that could be better than both Drysdale and Sanderson, and uh, Brant Clark, Owen Power, Carson Lambos. I think those three guys could challenge for the top pick in 2021. Um, so it's it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see what play, what uh, teams do this year. Josh, who do you see as potential buy or beware kind of prospects this year? I know Jeremy Poirier has <laughs> we've seen his name float around there with his decision making at times and the ability to jump into the play a lot. Yep. Um, who who else fits that like you know type of moniker for a prospect? Uh, he's definitely the the big one. I uh, there's one that I. This is always a hard question. Uh, I think you, how you determine a bust might not be how bad the player is or does after draft, but it might just be based on where they're selected. Like uh, you look at Philip Broberg, and a lot of that happened. A lot of that talk that happened this year. Um, but I, I think a guy like if you take Jack Quinn in the top ten, I just I don't see that working out as well as teams think. Yeah, he can score goals, but I. I don't think he does much else. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of red flags I see in him, and so I have him at 21. I I still think he could be. He should be a first rounder, mm-hmm. but if you take him in the top 10, I think you're gonna you're gonna look back and probably regret that. Um, I've got to ask you. I'm I'm sitting here in a in a basement in London right now. Um, <laughs> and you've got uh, you've got Antonio Stranges at uh, 58, and you've got Luke Evangelista at 66. For me, um, I just 
over the past year, and it could be who he played with, but I just saw more uh, development from Evangelista. I'm just curious why you have strangers above him. And from your standpoint, you know, is this something that could change over the next year as well uh, post-draft, I guess? Yeah, and even over the summer, I, I got some more views of Evangelista, and I was kind of rethinking that one. Um, and uh, in one of my mailbags, somebody asked if I could, if I thought that he could have a McMichael-like breakout this year. And looking at the numbers, looking at uh, hockey prospecting, it's, it's kind of interesting how close Evangelista is to McMichael. He's a, a little bit below that tier, I think, but uh, his his NHL PNE is uh, is very very close, or sorry, his PNHL E uh, is is very close to kind of um, uh, look how he would transfer into the NHL. So yeah, I, I actually did kind of think about flipping those two then, and I, I would if I was doing my rankings now, I probably definitely would. Uh, but Evangelista could be another one of those guys that uh, is a little bit of a steal in the probably I think in the late second round. Josh, just jumping over to 2021 for a second, looking at your rankings, <laughs> the, your preseason rankings for that draft. Um, yep. If the Leafs do decide to take a forward this year and pick a D next year, I mean, as you mentioned, it, it is defense heavy. Um, I'm looking at some names that they could possibly take on defense. Um, you know, Daniel Chayka, you have him at 15. I don't know if he slides down, if he, if the Leafs are in a 20 spot. Stanislav Zvozo. Uh, Shane Barron's Anton Olsen out of those players who do you think would best fit their need if you got if you're looking for a, a defensive defenseman I think uh, Daniel Chaka is the guy if you look next year he's a, I think he could he's he's played in the OHL I think he's already got two seasons under his belt now uh, maybe maybe that's actually one um, but he's he looked very good uh, I he don't he's not going to chip in a whole lot of offense but he's he's so good in his own end that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him rise in the rankings through the year. Uh, you never know with defensive defensemen. Sometimes they can be a little bit uh, under the radar and slide a little bit in public rankings, but you have to bet that NHL teams are going to have him high. All right, Josh. Well, we've taken up uh, a fair amount of your time so early in the morning here. Um, but uh, just for your, your growing Bell Nation here, um, who is Josh Bell outside of prospecting? Um pretty much the same it's uh, it's become uh, it's become almost my life i'm i uh, i work in sport i work for uh, volleyball canada and really i just spend a lot of time around hockey and watching hockey and writing about hockey so it's uh, it's pretty much what you see is what you get and correct me correct me if i'm wrong you're in you're in ottawa right i am yep what do you think of the senators uh change back to the 2d uh logo i'm surprised it happened uh, now instead of two years ago, it's uh, it's a little <laughs> late, but um, and it was kind of interesting to see everybody reporting on it before they announced it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's very senators, but it's good that it actually happened. Yeah. Um, so just uh, let our listeners know where they can find you at and uh, what what you've got kind of in the in the works right now. Yeah. So you can find me at Joshua Bell thirty one. Um, lots coming on the hockey writers. We've uh, got another mailbag coming up soon and, uh, we have a full first round mock draft, which uh, is always a lot of fun. We've done quite a few of them this year, more than ever before, cause we've had the extra time, but, uh, it's, it's probably going to come in around, uh, seven, 8,000 words and it's, uh, going to be a lot of fun to read. 
obviously we want to thank you for coming on and uh you know talking some prospects with us and some maple leafs and uh we'd love to have you back on uh sometime in the near future for sure yeah anytime thanks a lot for having me on guys you guys have uh have done a great job here thanks josh appreciate it man take it easy yeah you too well, Peter, another great interview. Obviously, Josh, uh, Josh, follow him on Twitter, guys. Joshua Bell, thirty-one. He's yes. a guy that uh, you know has a lot of knowledge when it comes to uh, you know prospects, not only for this year but uh, 2021, 2022, 2023. He's all over the place uh, looking at these young guys coming up. Um, you know, worth the follow. A uh, lot of great insight in terms of the draft year and uh, what what to expect from Toronto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's a big question. I mean, what are they going to do with that 15th pick, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, I think uh, there's a lot of options out there for them. And I think it's, uh, you know, don't don't set your mind on one thing yet because uh, the, the team could potentially go either way. And, and we talked about it in trying to get Petrangelo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, could they use that as a, as a potential uh, draw for a team taking on a contract, uh, you know, like, like Nylander? It's also interesting that you pointed that out and I didn't mention this before but Pierre Lebrun also mentioned that there's a possibility that a team could do a sign and trade and if Toronto's willing to already offer up first pick to St. Louis along with maybe Travis Dermott maybe another player is it enough maybe not but still something to you know think about that they have two pieces already in place that they could send to St. Louis yeah no 100% and uh you know, draft's not far away. And nope. um, with that said, uh, is there anything that our listeners, our readers over at the Hockey Raiders can expect from you, Peter, going into uh, draft season? Um, I'm basically almost, uh, if something comes up, yeah, but I've just finished off a, it's already actually posted a uh, top five options for the 44th pick that the Maple Leafs can have with their second round pick. I know I already did the top five first rounders with the 15th. So you could check that out. I'm also working on something basically that we talked about this episode, the whole Petrangelo saga. Is he able to sign? I mean, granted a lot of info that we talked about today is going to be on there, but be on the lookout for that as well. Um, Andrew, what have you got? Um, I am late to the party, but I've had a lot of questions in terms of, uh, getting my final rankings out there prior to the draft, which will be coming. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, I, I knew a lot of, uh, a lot of the guys out there are going to be getting their draft rankings out in the last month. So I wanted to kind of hold off and, and, uh, really put a lot of thought into where I'm, I'm placing these players. Um, so I'm working on that, uh, Obviously, like you said, if anything comes up, uh, I'll be I'll be kind of delving into that kind of stuff as well. But, um, you know, uh, history of women's hockey. That's what that's what I'm working on yes. right now. And uh, there's a lot, a lot there to kind of file through. So but, uh, you know, guys, take a take a look at the hockey writers. we got a lot of a lot of great writers. Obviously, Josh Bell there. Obviously, we talked about Mark earlier in the episode, myself mm-hmm. and Peter. Uh, Peter, where can our re- our listeners uh, find you on Twitter? Um. You can find me at at P Barracchini, P B B B I can't speak right now. P B A R A C C H I N I. And I just want to also plug our draft guide. Um, lots of content, lots of profiles, lots of features about all the teams prospects up for this year's draft. A lot of our staff has done a great job with the profiles that they have done in uh, draft pieces. So 
if you haven't taken a look at it, taken a look at it, please go and check that out. Um, it's a fantastic. Um, if you're looking for a draft guide, this is probably something that you should be looking at. Yeah, and 100%, uh, folks, you can find me at Andrew G Forbes on Twitter. You can also follow the uh, the pod at uh, Sticks in the Six Pod. That's S T I X I N. T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Um, obviously, we have a lot of content there as well. Um, listen into our episodes. Share it with your friends. Hit the subscribe button. Folks, we're just looking for you guys to, to tune in and uh, you know ask us questions. We're, we're here to talk hockey. That's what we do every Saturday morning, Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. We're going to get our guests on um, and, and stay safe out there. It's, it's 2020. Anything can happen. Stay safe. Yes. Thanks stay again, safe. guys. Yep. Thanks again, yeah, guys. Sorry, uh, I was a little, I was a little late for that. Um, stay safe, be well, and hope everyone is just, again, just doing well. I mean, tough times. We'll get over this. Yeah, we will. Thanks again, Peter. Great episode this week. Absolutely. See you guys next week.